G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As you will be aware, the appointment of Justice Brett Kavanaugh to the U.S. Supreme Court has been dominating headlines all around the world. You might be wondering why it's been so prominent here in Australia. Well, as a conservative choice for the vacancy on the Supreme Court, the Democrats pulled out all stops to try and derail his nomination. So why is this so important? What is so special about this man? Why does he get those dominant headlines even here in Australia? What might be so important that his opponents would stop at nothing including the most dreadful smear campaign to try to discredit him and sully his reputation before taking on one of the most powerful positions in the world. Well, let's try to make sense of the developments and what it may mean in what we know as the culture war. Well, Dr. Camille Magdaly is on a stopover as part of the Understanding the Times tour. He's speaking in churches all over Australia with an update uh, which he is bringing to churches everywhere that includes a significant appreciation of developments in the culture war. His message this year is entitled The Trump Declaration, Jerusalem, Jihad and Jesus. And he is in the studio with me. A special welcome back to 2020 to you, Dr. Camille Magdaly. Good to be with you, Neil, and to see you face to face. (laughs) Camille, I love traveling with you and being part of some of the events that we've been part of over the years. I always love an update with you when we particularly are getting into some of these gritty topics that unless we hear perspectives on these, we as Christians can feel almost ignorant as to what is going on in the world. When we mention this terminology, the culture war, uh, let me get you to give us a quick Uh, In a nutshell, appraisal of what is going on in the world, and then we'll get into this issue with Brett Kavanaugh, because otherwise it's just a headline that comes from the U.S. But this culture war is very important for us, Camille. It's very important because the stakes couldn't be higher. It's been going on for at least half a century. It's not just an American thing. It's in Europe. It's in Australia. It's all over the Western world. Because what the culture war is, is a battle for the heart and soul of the West itself, or Western civilization at stake. To me, this is no exaggeration. You have one side that is pushing for radical change. You have the other side wanting meaningful change, but not change for change's sake. And time-honored ethical, moral, legal, and other things are being challenged and in some cases toppled by this juggernaut of the culture war. Can I just say, Neil, that Christian people, and particularly pastors and leaders, this is not something we can ignore, pretend it's not happening, oh, they do what they want on their side, we do what we want on ours. It does already affect the church, and if we don't make a stand, it will affect us adversely. 
Now, in the United States, and people will hear your American accent, although you've spent a quarter of a century living here in Australia these days, you're sharing your time between the UK and the US and Australia, and all your touring that goes on throughout the Middle East and now into uh, Europe and even uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, let's talk about the US and these checks and balances that come from the Supreme Court, because this is one of those checks and balances, and this is why it makes it's so important, especially when it comes to issues of national values and, as we talk, uh, issues to do with this culture war. Right. Well, the checks and balances, as in America, as also here in Australia, you have a judiciary, you have the legislative, you have the executive, and here in Australia, we have the crown, which separates all the power so nobody gets too much power. The crown stays apolitical and basically secures national stability. Interestingly, the high court in Australia is a little different to the American because the prime minister appoints the justice and there's no vetting by parliament. But also the high court doesn't normally deal with big contentious issues like abortion and same-sex marriage. That tends to be more the legislative. In the United States, the checks and balances have been eroding with the Supreme Court for probably 50 to 60 years. And the Supreme Court, instead of just being a place of review where laws are looked at to see if they're constitutional, it's gone to a more activist judiciary where they basically are de facto creating laws, which is not their duty to do. And the Congress is the only one that can stop them. But until now, they haven't had the political will to do so. Okay, so we've got a judiciary that is involved in the interpretation of what's going on in the culture, uh, because as we saw with the uh, Supreme Court in the US, uh, their decision-making that affected same-sex marriage in America. And, of course, uh, going back those decades to the Roe versus Wade abortion issue. So uh, there is a importance in the balance of who is on that sort of decision-making body. And for a long time now, it's been weighted towards what we call progressives uh, rather than conservatives. So now with Brett Kavanaugh being appointed to the Supreme Court, the weight changes towards the conservative. Uh, give us a little insight into just how significant that balance is, Camille. Well, first of all, I, best-selling author of The Culture War put it this way, Probably no institution of culture and government has affected society more than the U.S. Supreme Court. That's that's more than the Congress. That's more than even Hollywood, as well as the press. Now, I think he has a point, this author, because it's the Supreme Court under activist, progressivist judges that kicked prayer and God out of the public schools, as well as legalized abortion, as well as same-sex marriage, as well as a whole raft of other things. These were the more headline-grabbing institutions. But see, changing to a conservative view, it's pretty much like Christian theology. You have conservative theologians, you have liberal theologians. Liberal theologians, of course, they use heavy intellect and in some ways explain away everything. The miracles, the inspiration of Scripture, da-da-da. Well, it's the same with the Constitution. The Constitution can be amended Sure, it's not scripture, but it's a very solid document. The conservatives will interpret it as it is, whereas progressivists talk of it as being a living, breathing document, which pretty much says you can 
write your own ticket, and somehow find some obscure clause in the Constitution to justify it. Like in Christian theology, so it is in the legal system. Okay, let's talk about the fact that this is the first time in a very long time that there has been a balance in favor of a conservative position on the Supreme Court in the U.S. because this means something, and you could actually use a, sort of a metaphor. This is a little bit like an earthquake in the culture war because what seemed to be going the way of the progressives All of a sudden, uh, the winds change and there is some level of uh, strengthening of a conservative foundation. It is a major turn in the culture war in the United States. And Donald Trump is no in no small measure is the catalyst for this because of his his own conversion to conservatism, being pro-faith, pro-family pro-life, pro-God, pro-Israel, all these kind of things. So Mr. Trump has led the way, and basically, yeah, and that's why the progressive organs cannot stand the man. Now, sure, some of it is his demeanor and all, but it's likened to a war, and this has been a very nasty war, Neil. We're not, of course, justifying incivility on any side, but in a war, normal protocol doesn't apply. You can't be nicey-nice with an enemy that hates you and is trying to destroy you. We do believe as Christians there is a place for turning the other cheek, but also we know, and there's a wise position of fighting the good fight of faith. And I dare say that, really, I'm watching Christian leaders, particularly in the U.S., standing up and being counted because they know that the stakes are so high, and even the survival of the nation is in question, as we know it. So, yes, the conservative balance in the Supreme Court is a turn in the culture war, and that also explains the hysteria over the nomination and confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh, who is a highly, highly qualified and respected jurist who has had nothing but acclaim from all who know him. Remember, he had at least six, if not seven, background checks, including from the FBI. And when allegations broke out against him, immediately 65 women who knew him from high school onward testified to his integrity and character. But that didn't stop the progressives from launching a smear campaign to not just derail his nomination, but to destroy him. Well, I want to open our talkback lines and invite listeners to join in our conversation today. You've been following the headlines and you, like many others, might have been saying, why are we seeing so much of this man on our TV news reports uh, when uh, it's all to do with the American Supreme Court? Well, give us a call, 1-800-316-316. You might have your own thoughts Uh, whether they be uh, thoughts in line with our conversation today or you might have some alternative thoughts as well, you're welcome to call us 1-800-316-316. You can also leave a note or a question or a comment on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. When we talk about this terminology, Camille, the culture war, we're not talking about something that has just started, uh, but perhaps for a lot of Christian people, uh, they've not had Christian commentary on what this culture war is all about. Take us back to those decades to when it began, uh, right back to the 1950s, 60s. This is when this really started to emerge with uh, one side versus another. 
Well, President Eisenhower, who was a revered war hero, 34th president of the U.S. in the 1950s, he apparently or allegedly said the worst decision of his presidency was appointing Earl Warren to the Supreme Court. Earl Warren was the first official <laughs> liberal justice of the Supreme Court, and his uh, effect reverberated for decades. And once they're in, the justices are there for life, unless you can find a cause to impeach them. So Earl Warren, in a sense, kick-started the culture war. And then in the 60s, where we had wild demonstrations against the Vietnam War, the free speech movement in Berkeley, the Port Huron Declaration, which started the Students for Democratic Society. These were radical Marxist, violent, Sololinsky-style people who Sololinsky was the mentor of Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. So all these, the protests, the sexual revolution, the proliferation of drugs, the Beatles, uh, the Hare Krishna, <laughs> everything. <laughs> In the 60s, it was a cauldron, right? And then it continued on. In fact, the the, shall we say, demise of the Nixon administration, which was in 1974. Richard Nixon was not the most heinous and horrible president that ever existed. Yes, he did some things wrong, but whether he did wrong more than any other is debatable. But his demise was very much part of the rebellious, turbulent 60s that was, of course, anti-authority, anti-capitalist, anti-America, anti-God, anti marriage, family, children, men, and so on. It just culminated throughout the years. But with the Cold War, people like Ronald Reagan were too focused trying to defeat communism to actually deal with the culture war. And then you have Clinton and Obama, who are progressivist presidents, and they helped the agenda, particularly Obama. He advanced the agenda more than any. In fact, America was turning more and more left. And then here comes Donald Trump. And it's like a very, what do you call it, St strong right turn. And with that, the culture war has just gone on steroids. But Trump didn't start it. He's more like the stick poked in the hornet's nest. Okay. Let's uh, let's not neglect just a understanding of the culture war today. And as we talk through this issue, uh, the idea of conservatives and progressives, uh, we talk about uh, the right and the left. Uh, when we talk about the culture war, uh, sometimes people uh, think this is just something that goes on during a political campaign, but this is a battle not... Uh, well, thankfully, we haven't seen so much uh, violence on the streets here in Australia, but we are seeing violence on the streets in the US over this culture war. Uh, here in Australia, predominantly a battle of ideas. But this whole idea of conservative and progressive, uh, give us a little insight, Camille, into what all that means for the culture war and how even our political parties fit into that mix. Right. Thanks for the question. I'll be doing my very best to make it concise. Progressives are the left wing. They're oftentimes called liberal, but it's really best to call them progressives. They believe in an equal egalitarian, environmentally friendly and feminist friendly kind of world. And that in order to address the intolerance and inequality in a world, it does come by government fiat. They are believers in big government. And the bigger, the better. 
Of course, it doesn't entail the fact that there'll be more taxes, more debt, (laughs) more regulation, more political correctness, more inefficiency, and yes, I'm sorry to say, more corruption. They believe in equality of outcomes. Everyone's going to get the same, regardless of output. They believe in unfettered immigration. They believe in redefinition of time-honored things like marriage and gender and husband and wife and father and mother, and believe all these things. Oh, and on life issues, pro-abortion, pro-euthanasia, pro-assisted suicide. The conservatives, of course, uh, are the just, opposite. Just before, just before we move to conservatives, so in our Australian context here, you're talking about people like the Greens Party. Absolutely, uh, the Greens more. solidly, and the ALP. And solidly, the ALP. And many members of the Liberal Party are actually progressivist. Remember John Howard's broad church <laughs> of the Liberal Party? So, yes, you have... People in the Liberal Party, they, they would be, they call themselves moderate, but actually they are progressivist, which is in the left. But all sizes or one size do not fit all. Some are, you know, moderate progressivist and some are far left. There's a little bit of a gray area there, but there are people on the extreme and there are people who are moderate, but that still means progressive. Okay. In a nutshell, a description of the conservative side of the culture war. Conservative side basically wants to retain the good things that made the Western world great. Democracy, human freedoms, free market, free press, independent judiciary, and due process of law so that we all get true justice, not mob justice, which we're seeing in the U.S. during the Kavanaugh confirmation. They're thoroughly pro-life. They do believe in migration, but sustained controlled migration, and they're very much sympathetic, whether they're churchgoers or not, to Judeo-Christian values and ethics and morality. So that's a chasm between the two sides. And if we're naming parties that are on that conservative side, uh, clearly uh, we're talking about uh, the Liberal National Party uh, as a some of them, some of uh, centre. Well, of course, uh, Malcolm Turnbull uh, considered it to be a centrist party, not a conservative one. So it's an interesting thing that under Prime Minister Scott Morrison, whether he will make any sort of declaration that might take it more back to its conservative roots. But uh, so other parties uh, like uh, where would you put say? Pauline Hanson, or uh, uh, you've got the other conservative parties uh, like uh, Cory Bernardi's uh, Australian Conservatives. Uh, they're sort of they're concerned that when you've got conservative in your in your name, then you're, you're sort of pushing this. You know, there's extremes on this side of the equation as well. There can be, but can I just say for everyone, it's important when people give you labels and who speaking matters to you. Find out exactly what they mean. So when someone says, I'm a conservative, it may mean something different to what you think it means. So really, in this age of redefinition, everybody needs to define their terms. Cory Bernardi appears, from what I have seen, to imbibe many conservative principles. Of course, the One Nation does that too, and things like that. And of course, they're small Christian parties. Family First was definitely a conservative party, although they folded into the Cory Bernardi party. So yes, some of those political parties are uh, very much uh, in the conservative mold. But even so, it doesn't mean everything that they stand for 
would line up with classic conservatism. You need to actually do your homework to make sure that is the case. Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line open 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. And Dr. Camille Magdaly is our guest talking about the culture war and really around the issues that have surrounded the appointment of Justice Brett Kavanaugh in the U.S. and what that means not only for the U.S. but for us here in Australia and the whole world. Let's take some calls. Noel is on the line from Cairns in Queensland. Hello, Noel. Welcome along. Hey, good morning, all. How are you doing? Very well, Noel. What are your thoughts for our conversation today? Well, I, I'm like I said, I'm 66 years old, right? Yep. My grandmother was a full-blood Aboriginal, so understand what happens there. Um, I was always thrown between the black side and the white side when I was growing up. Yep. Um, I stole a matchbox toy, a little dinky toy, out of a, a, a newsagent when I was 14, and I got sent away to boys' homes. Wow. I spent three and a half years in there. Mm-hmm. Now... I went angry and angry and angry, and I stayed in jail until I was about 30, 33, so 20-odd years in and out, in and out all the time. Because of what happened, nobody would accept him, nobody wanted me to be part of the group. Now, what do you define as culture? I'm of Aboriginal, Australian, English, Scot, Norwegian descent. Now, I'm multicultural, I think, myself, and I was born in 52. Now, why is there a culture war now? Can't you all get together and realise that we are all people, human beings? Yeah, and I think it's the views that people hold as to how we all, and uh, let's not leave any one out of this, how we are all treated as human beings, the things that we believe, the things that we might call our values that we hold true. Uh, Noel, let's get a thought or an insight from uh, Dr. Camille Magdaly. A little bit off track here, and yet there is a connection here because Noel really is part of uh, what you'd say would be one of these minorities uh, that has been, in fact, uh, you could you could say even persecuted over the years. Uh, Camille, your thoughts for Noel? Well, Noel, I... Uh Grew up in the United States and came to Australia as a young married man and father. And so I grew up as a minority too. And I have to say my personal experience was the America I grew up in, which is a different America to today, was very much a melting pot. So somehow the fact that I wasn't a normal Anglo-Celtic American didn't seem to matter it just mattered that I lived in America and bought into the values. That's that's what I grew up with. No, we are not, especially as Christians, we are not looking to fight anyone. In fact, if anything, we're trying to win people over to the wonderful gospel of Christ, which makes us part of the biggest and most wonderful and colorful family around. That's what we want. But when your home is invaded, unprovoked invasion— you can either surrender or you can fight back, depending on who's invading and what they want. And so I would say at least what I've seen of conservatives, the ones that I respect, they weren't looking for any fight or trouble. But when they see the attacks on family, the attacks on the nationhood, the attacks on men, especially at this point, white men, Nobody should be attacked because of their skin color, regardless of what it is. When they see ideologies which sound good, but they're actually a ruse for radical and dangerous change in society, we either do nothing and get overwhelmed by the tsunami or we 
fight the good fight of faith. And that's what I see people of faith doing more and more, particularly in the U.S., and, and I dare say it will start to happen in Australia, too. Uh, Noel from Cairns, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you for that insight and for sharing your story with us. Just a couple of minutes out from Vision National News, let's take another quick call. Marion is in Albany in Western Australia. Hello, Marion. Welcome along. Thank you very much. Um, well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for this information. It's been very enlightening because in Australia we sort of don't have a, a picture of what we sort of know what goes on in America, but the explanation of what the High Court has, uh, as like you said, compared to Australia is far more than what we have here. So that was, I found that really interesting, and I'm just so thankful that the Lord um, prevailed and that um, Mr Kavanagh was allowed to proceed and be put onto the uh, Supreme Court there. And the other um, remark I'd like to make, so disappointed that you didn't come to Albany with your tour because I was so looking forward to it. Um, eventually, can we get like um, a copy of it or able to listen to it? Um, because I unfortunately won't be able to hear you. Marion, uh, that's a quick response from Camille. Well, thank you, Marion. And I, yes, I would have liked to come to Albany, but there are reasons which I can't go into why I could not, but not because I didn't want to. You can go to our website at tan, T-A-N dot org dot A-U, or to the Vision Christian store, and you can get a copy of my message that I'm speaking across Australia about the Trump Declaration. Camille, let's talk about the smear campaign that surrounded this whole appointment of Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, ultimately, the FBI did a investigation, and uh, it came to nothing. The allegations were empty allegations, nothing to see here. But that didn't stop the uh, the progressives from pursuing a very, very, uh, very damaging campaign. No, it didn't. And to me, what we saw in the confirmation battle, it was more ferocious than we ever expected. But what we saw was classic textbook culture war tactics. This is not a civil war in the sense of civility. But it is a civil war, is that it's parties within the country fighting. So progressives were already up in arms at Brett Kavanaugh, not because he'd done anything wrong or any threat to anyone. He's a decent, moral family man with an impeccable judicial record and vetted by the FBI and other agencies many times over. You know, you can't get as high up the ladder as he did without being searched thoroughly. And they combed everything and found nothing. So then, as a last-ditch effort, Democratic Senator from California, Dianne Feinstein, produced a letter. Why didn't she produce the letter sooner? Why didn't she have investigation sooner? There's a possibility that even Senator Feinstein didn't believe the letter and only used it as a last last-ish effort to railroad the nomination. But I would need to point out, sexual assault, whether it's on women or men or whoever, is serious business. And so the Judiciary Committee, which is Republican-dominated, so is the Senate, they didn't turn a deaf ear. They gave Christine Blasey Ford her day in the hearing to show they do care about these things. But what happened is there was no corroborating evidence, major details were missing, just, you know, after 36 years, memories do fade, 
and the like. And remember, there's something else that the culture warriors on the left seem to forget. America and the Western world is based on due process, the presumption of innocence until proven guilty, trial by jury, what they call beyond reasonable doubt, statute of limitations. So many of these fine features that have made our legal system the envy of history. It's not perfect, but it's a whole lot better than what we've had. All of that was missing in the smear campaign. But remember, this is one of the salient features of Donald Trump and his administration, and that is to put up a good fight. For too long, the conservatives have kept turning cheek after cheek until they've run out of cheeks. And this man was worth fighting for. Trump fought for him. The Senate Republicans found courage. They fought for him. And then eventually he fought for himself because he knew his family and his reputation were at stake. Somehow, fighting that good fight did actually prevail. Now, interestingly, you've got a dreadful smear campaign and very painful for the man himself, for his wife, for his children. You've seen those photos of his family there. But in one sense here, if we were looking for a positive in this, Camille, the fact that there was, as you say, multiple FBI investigations, and no doubt they would have been fairly severe investigations. They would have asked the hard questions. So when they give him a clean slate, when they say there is nothing that we can find against this man, there is that process that has gone through, which actually now alleviates some of those doubts and gives some level of confidence to this man as he's been appointed to their Supreme Court. Uh, So in some sense, even though there's a smear campaign, uh, it triggers all of these investigations, uh, when the outcome is that he's been tried in the fire and found to be not too bad, uh, then this is actually a positive thing, isn't it? It can be if you can withstand the fire and come forth as gold. That's a wonderful thing. Mr. or Justice Kavanaugh is already hearing cases now. He, they didn't waste any time. They put him straight to work, I mean, within two or three days. So the, there's something as Christians we can learn from this too. If it's worth fighting for, then you better put up a fight. There's a war against faith. There's a war against family. There's a war against men, particularly white men. There's a war against babies. Let's face it. Are these things worth fighting for? Absolutely. We can see the role model that's happened in the U.S. and take heart. Because remember, Australia at the moment is going a different way when it comes to like the abortion issue to where America's going. America's going away from abortion, and that's long before Brett Kavanaugh even got near the Supreme Court. Abortion clinics are closing down in the U.S. Rates of abortion are declining in the U.S., and uh, Australia's uh, obviously a little different. So it's, it's a good role model. Neil. Now, the fears of people on the left, uh, people we've been calling the progressives, uh, the fears are that abortion on demand and homosexual marriage might, in fact, be re-examined by the Supreme Court of the United States. And, of course, with the balance now towards the conservatives, away from the progressives, the fears are that those... Uh, those, well, they'd call them freedoms, uh, are, are now under threat. This is what's causing the hornet's nest to be really stirred up. It has been said, and I think there's a lot of truth to it, the issue wasn't Brett Kavanaugh, the man. The issue was Roe versus Wade, the 1973 landmark Supreme Court decision to basically give American women a 
quote-unquote constitutional right to an abortion. Since that ruling in 1973, I believe it's up to 60 million abortions have been performed in the United States. That's staggering, Neil. Now, should this decision be overturned, it does not mean the end of abortion in the United States. What it means is all 50 states can decide for themselves abortion, no abortion, or how much abortion. So left-wing states like California, New York, and, and New England, it'll be business as usual. But other states, it will be up for grabs. Roe versus Wade forces all states to have abortion. If it's lifted, states can decide for themselves. Okay, so when we talk about the decisions that are made by the Supreme Court in the United States uh, because of uh, the understanding of what happened with Roe versus Wade, uh, a, 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 a an avalanche of abortion then opened up around the world. Such is the impact of influence that comes from the sorts of decisions that happen in this Supreme Court. Uh, so when we talk about this as Christians, uh, let me just, just change direction here for a little moment because I mentioned a little bit earlier, when we're talking about a culture war, a battle of ideas, and sometimes it turns violent on the streets when it comes to this battle between progressives and conservatives. I, I said it the, in the last half hour, Camille, uh, where do we stand as Christian believers on all of this? Because there'll be extremes on both sides. What do we do as a Christian believer in an appreciation of a battle that's going on? And there'll be spiritual understandings that we have as Christians about this battle too. Where do we stand? Well, first of all, let me make it very clear. Ultimately, the bottom line in this culture war is spiritual. And ultimately, the solution is equally spiritual. It has to do with being informed, being meaningfully involved as a Christian in the democratic process. And most importantly, Neil, it involves fervent prayer. It was interesting that, if I dare say it, there was a word that came out from a respected American pastor before the Brett Kavanaugh kerfuffle happened. And he said that Ahab has tried to attack and he's failed. So soon Jezebel will be released. And no sooner did we hear that than the smear campaign began. And I mean, it was of a spiritual dimension. Make no mistake about it. Respected leaders like Dutch Sheets, who's known for his best-selling book, Intercessory Prayer, was in the galleries of the Senate hearing the confirmation process. And he was horrified at the level of arrogance and of perhaps I'm, I'm paraphrasing the demonic activity. So, of course, Dutch Sheets being the man that he is, also the intercessors were at work. Lots of intercession done for this process. And ultimately, I believe that the prayers were heard because of the spiritual battle. When we talk about prayer, Camille, sometimes I get the impression that as Christian believers, we separate a certain level of spiritual prayer and even you could call it a spiritual warfare and we somehow rather isolate that to the prayer closet or to the local church prayer meeting and the action that needs to accompany uh, the prayer sometimes feels a little bit detached and I even note that there are conservative commentators who are saying well when there's a march on the streets uh, the progressives will be out in their tens of thousands when there's a conservative march, conservatives, you know, battle to get 
a few thousand out. Uh, there's a certain sense in which, as Christian believers, we have this detachment. We have, uh, oh, it's a spiritual battle. God will go in to fight for us. What do you think about what it is as a responsibility of Christian believers to be the hands and feet of what happens out of the prayer closet? I believe that prayer is, of course, preeminent and the first thing we do and the last thing we do. Then we must obey what the Holy Spirit tells us as a result of our prayer and intercession. It may involve political activism, and I think that there is a very good place for that. I do caution when it's involving clergy. I'm a ordained clergyman. I believe you are too. We need to be a little bit yeah. different because of the fact that we're representing God. We're basically God's ambassadors, and so as God's representative, we don't get into the wrestling match in the mud of partisan politics, but even so, clergy can and should be preaching on morality, on ethics, on marriage, on family, how to have better marriages, better families, and how to be moral, upright, God-fearing people. Of course, we should be doing that even more than ever. But we also owe it to ourselves, if we're going to pray effectively, is to be informed. And there are people out there in the public square they could be called talking heads or conservative commentators or just, you know, intellectuals who will inform us. They will make sense of what we're reading in the headlines. They will show us behind the scenes why things are happening. And we need to learn. We don't have to become experts, but I'm just a firm believer of First Chronicles 12.32. If you understand the what and why of the times, then God will show you what you need to do. Uh, let me just uh, look at a question here from our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Uh, Carolyn says, my question in this cultural war is about our own Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. How can he be a Christian if he's following left policies and he is not a conservative? Uh, does this not make him a left progressive, the opposite to Christianity? Please explain. Surely having a conservative judge can only be, could only be good for Australia. Okay. So let's make sense of that. Uh, Scott Morrison, our new prime minister, is a Christian man. Uh, there's a little bit of an accusation there from Carolyn, but what are your thoughts for, I mean, Carolyn's reflecting some thoughts that will be going through some people's minds. Yes, absolutely. And I would say, look, uh, Scott Morrison, who apparently was not involved in the, the coup over Malcolm Turnbull, but put his hand up to be prime minister, and now he is prime minister. So this came upon him without, as far as I know, he didn't look for this or ask for it, but he, he took the opportunity. He is, from everything we can tell, a genuine Christian, and indeed, he prayed at Planet Shakers, and that prayer moved the hearts of agnostic <laughs> commentators and journalists. They just thought it was nice to see a prime minister pray. And I, and I can assure that that wasn't fake. But Mr. Morrison, of course, is a politician. And bear in mind, he has to deal with not just the conservatives of his party and of the constituency, many that were alienated before, and now he wants to win them back to the party so he can win the next federal election. But he also has to placate the moderate or progressive wing of the Liberal Party so that they don't cause trouble or don't break away or don't be so divided that they lose the election. So, of course, politics involves compromise. And I am very slow to judge a genuine Christian politician 
simply for doing what politicians do, and that's give and take and compromise. So I think the best thing we can do for our prime minister is what we are commanded to do in First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, and pray for him. Pray for wisdom. Pray for right judgment. Pray that he'll hear the right advice. Pray that he will do God's will. What better way can we affect the politicians than through this? We're taking calls 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call. Chris is in Victoria. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. G'day, Neil. Camille. Yeah, yeah I just want to uh, ask Camille's opinion. In, uh, is Nikki Haley's loss, her resignation, uh, as you know, as, as major as Kavanaugh's appointment? And also, uh, I mean, Neil mentioned the apathy of Christians in marches and, and all this sort of stuff. Uh, yes, there's apathy with conservative Christians, but I, I think the apathy also comes because a great number of Christians um, now identify themselves with uh, a lot of the left-wing parties. I mean, they call themselves Christian, but they, they identify themselves with uh, what the left is offering. So, you know. uh, Interesting thoughts there, Chris. Uh, just to pick up on uh, Nikki Haley, as I understand it, uh, that's only a breaking news headline. I just uh, didn't read the detail a little earlier, but she's resigned her position on the UN. Are you across that one at all, Camille? Yes. Nikki Haley has basically been a Donald Trump in a skirt. She has done the president's bidding probably better than he could have done in the United Nations. And she has uh, done a masterful job in less than two years of fighting for causes which we think are right causes. It's not a terminal thing. She's not in massive disagreement or repudiation of Trump. She is replaceable, although I would say she'd be a hard act to follow. She's going to campaign for Trump in 2020. So it's not some scandal or some terrible, terrible rift. It's just that Nikki Haley has been for eight years as a governor of South Carolina and nearly two years as U.S. or U.S. ambassador to the U.N., and she really needs a break. And that's what she says, and that sounds very plausible. Trump said that she is welcome back anytime and she can pick any position she wants. So that sounds pretty amicable. As far as the other point, Chris, look, there are Christians, and I won't judge their Christianity, who tend to take a progressivist view. I believe it's really between them and God in terms of their spiritual walk. But I would say that oftentimes it's the packaging because progressivism will come across as very compassionate and very caring and they just want to help everyone and and that's it sounds all good but the devil is in the detail and when you see not only the means of how they're going to get to the agenda but the ends as well that's what causes us to sit up and take notice so as as with everything else let's just pray for the body of Christ that we will do God's will and that we will do it well And Chris, just to add to something here, so far as parties go and Christian believers, it wouldn't be uh, even only one or two times, many a time on this program, we have talked about Christian positions when it comes to, you know, do you support the Labour Party or do you support the Liberal National Party? Well, the idea of joining the party that you want to be an effective change agent in uh, is still one of those things that is very uh, prominent in in thinking. And so uh, for people, and clearly when we talk about uh, people on the conservative side of politics who've come with a left-leaning agenda, they've done that. Uh, those who are joining the Labour Party, and uh, there might be Christian people, and uh, the encouragement to Christian people 
to join the Labour Party because you can be an effective change agent. You can be someone who affects the way that policies are developed. And uh, it certainly is one of those things that, and I know from a lot of guests that we've had over the years, they've taken a position that says if you want to see change in the party that you're a part of, join that party and become a part of the processes that develop those policies. Chris, thank you so much for your call. We are running out of time and we might have to draw a line under things here because I do want to mention the Understanding the Times tour. Camille, uh, this is just a little stopover for you here and your capacity to be with us in the studio. This message that we've been talking about today is part of the overall message. You're on your way to Rockhampton tonight. Uh, Give us a quick insight because you get a warm welcome when you go to Rockhampton. Yes, I'm going to be the guest of Cathedral of Praise in North Rockhampton and of Pastor Claude and Elva Fingleton. They have received this tour and myself and Leanne for the last three years. And so this will be our fourth Understanding the Times tour with Cathedral of Praise and the Rockhampton area and beyond because people from further afield than Rockhampton will be there tonight. It's usually a well-attended meeting. So again, we will talk about this whole issue of the Trump Declaration recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. What does this actually mean? What's the implications? And to me, The focus on Jerusalem, more and more by the world community, is without question a fulfillment of ancient Hebrew prophecies, particularly that of Zechariah 12. And so Jerusalem, the cup of drunkenness and the heavy or burdensome stone, is coming more and more to the fore. People who come usually are very happy with what they hear. We try to be even-handed, balanced, compassionate to everyone, but we look at the headlines through the prism of God's Word. So I invite our friends in the Rockhampton area, come near, come far, and remember I'll be in Mackay Thursday night at the C3 Church, and then on Sunday at the Royals Church in Mariba and Cairns. Mariba in the morning, Cairns in the evening. So Queensland, this month of October is pretty much dedicated to you, so please come out. And if you're wondering about dates and venues where you can see Dr. Camille Majdali as part of the Understanding the Times tour, there is a banner on the Vision website. Simply go to vision.org.au. You'll find a banner there that says the Understanding the Times tour with Dr. Camille. If you click on that, you'll find all of the dates coming up over these coming weeks. Uh, Camille, always just a great privilege to have you in the studio. Uh, Wonderful insights into the issues that are going on around the world as we understand this culture war. Uh, We certainly appreciate uh, the the way that you're able to articulate so wonderfully uh, just how uh, this whole uh, situation, how all of the the mechanics of what happens uh, in politics uh, is all related, in fact, even into a spiritual realm. Camille, thanks so much for taking time to share these things with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's been a pleasure. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.